This episode is brought to you by HP+. In a world full of smart devices, isn't it about time your printer got smart too? Now printing is smart with HP+. And the HP Smart app is how it all happens. You can print from your phone with just a tap, no matter where you are. Even from your garage slash home office slash yoga studio. Huh, that is smart. HP+. Learn more about smart printing at hp.com slash smart. Leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Welcome to Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath, where experienced leaders share their own brand of leadership to help you develop and improve your own leadership capabilities. And now, here's your host, Dr. Gary. I am Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. Welcome again to Leading from the Front. And our guest today works with sales-driven companies committed to being open for business in action and attitude. And she's the author of Myth Shift, Challenging the Truths that Sabotage Success. I think that's something we could all learn a little bit about when we sabotage our own success. And she's created the Merit Method for Sales Mastery. She's a certified speaking professional with the National Speakers Association and a certified emotional intelligence instructor and trainer. And we're going to talk a bit about uh, how emotional intelligence is connected to so many areas of success today in all fields. So please welcome with me, Merritt Kahn. How are you doing, Merritt? Hi, I'm doing great, Gary. Thanks for having me. Well, I, I love the uh, the merit method, uh, your first name and connecting <laughs> that. Uh, that's that's some great work. Uh, so, Merit, talk to me a little bit about your background and how, how you got started in all this, this success in sales. Well, uh, first, I should tell you, I didn't call it the merit method because I am so in love with myself or my name. <laughs> uh, okay. Merit, as you know, means, you know, worthy of praise. And yes. I didn't like that for so long. I fought that. But uh, my belief really is that to be leaders in sales or anything else, we want we need to be worthy of earning that leadership, worthy of earning those sales. And so the merit method is really about what can I do to be more worthy to earn this business, this respect, this leadership position. To go back to your other question about how did I get into this, uh, it was never really a question of, you know, what would I do with my life growing up with parents who were both in sales and my grandparents in sales. Uh, they sold everything from used car lots and Avon and advertising and real estate. And so it was only really a question of what is merit going to grow up and sell? So I always knew that I would be in a sales field. And a uh, funny story is when I was 15 years old, I went to visit my uncle who was 10 years older than me. He picked me up from the airport in this beautiful, shiny black Porsche 911. Nice. And before I even got into the car, I said, Uncle Rich, what do you do? <laughs> and, you know, I mean, the car was gorgeous and it had the radio station call letters on the license plate while he was a radio advertising sales rep. And that was exactly the moment that I decided that's what I'm going to do. Wow. So I graduated from college. I studied advertising communications and I went right into radio and I loved it. And I, I did really well. I worked really hard and I became the youngest general sales manager in Chicago, which is the third largest market in the country. And I really just 
gravitated toward it. I loved everything about sales and sales leadership. And then I ended up when the radio station was sold, I looked around and I looked at other women in that field at that time. And there were really no women that had in my estimation, a balanced life. They were Mm. the high powered women in leadership roles were only in you know, they, they only did that leadership role. They only worked in radio. That was the whole life. Um, there were no families to speak of. And I, I kind of looked around and I thought that's not the lifestyle that I want. So I left radio and I opened my, uh, sales and sales management training business. And that was in 1998 and never looked back. Wow. So uh, most businesses go out of business within the first three to five years. So uh, you've certainly gone way beyond that. <laughs> so we had a couple of things we can talk about sales, sales leadership and entrepreneurship, having run a business for so many years and how yeah. you've morphed from one type of business to another, I'm sure, and, and grown and developed all that. What do you think uh, from an entrepreneurial standpoint, what are the, some of the biggest challenges, leadership challenges that you have as you've uh, grown your business. And I want to ask you the same question about sales leadership. That's, that's complex. So I'm going to ask you the easy question first, the <laughs> entrepreneurial challenge. It, I think on the entrepreneurial side of things, it was shifting my mindset to match the business uh, growth that I was experiencing, mm-hmm. as well as the goals that I had for my business. So going from that salesperson mindset where it's more of a, I've got to hunt and kill every deal. And then moving to the management mindset, which was my success is directly related to the success of my team. So yeah, I could make all those calls and I know exactly what to say. And I could go driving around and knocking on all the doors because I'm comfortable in that role. But as a manager, I had to make sure that everybody else on the team was comfortable as comfortable in that role as I had been. And, and that was the real mark of success. And I would say as an entrepreneur, the next level up was really understanding that it wasn't just about the sales component of running a business. I had to all of a sudden learn the operations side and you know, I had to get better at things that weren't my natural genius zones mm. or my my developed genius zones, I should probably say, because I'm not sure anybody's really a naturally born anything. We learn these skills and we develop them. So I followed the same formula that had me be successful in sales, which and and management, which was I I I got myself around the people who were doing it well. And I put myself in those conversations and I asked the tough questions. I hired coaches. I, you know, got myself the right mentors. I put myself in the right environments. And that really shifted my mindset. And it helped me understand what are the mechanics of this particular role? What are the mechanics of being a good entrepreneur? And then, and then I did that. Yeah. So some of the things that you talked about, we, we talk about our leadership program all the time about leadership mindset and having the right mindset in order to be able to be successful. So, you know, when you talk about the transition from sales to sales leadership, first of all, do you remember when you made that transition 
first of all, what motivated you to make that leap? And, and how did you know that you had to be different? Hmm. Because a lot of people don't. A lot of people go from sales to sales management, sales leadership, and they try to force feed everybody into doing what the way they did it because they were successful. Just do it my way. Right. And you obviously took a different path. How, how did you come to that realization? Well, I, I think the, the move from salesperson to sales management was more of a, it felt like the natural progression. It felt like what you were supposed to do. Mm. And if I'm honest, I, I was a much better salesperson than I was a sales manager. Um, I'm grateful that I had that opportunity. Frankly, I think I was a little... Uh, a little raw, a little, I don't want to say young because it, it wasn't really about the age, but I was, I look back now and I think, wow, that was a bold move making me <laughs> a sales manager at that point with the level of experiences that I had had. What I have always been good at and what I, and I think why they, they picked me for that role at that time was my philosophy has always been to dress and train for your next opportunity. So dress for your next opportunity is simple. Um, you know, if you want to be seen as a player, you have to show up like a player would look in that role. And mm -hmm. I think that's very true of, of leaders. Um, and as a professional keynote speaker, that's one of the things that I do in my business now. Um, I don't want to show up in the exact same thing that my audience is wearing, right? I want to be, I want to be comfortable, but I want to dress just that one little level above. And that could just mean, you know, an accessory or something, right? right. I, I know I'm, this is a detail thing, but it really matters in shifting the mindset and in the persona. I knew that when I looked at my sales managers, there was something about them from a presence perspective that I wanted and dressing the part helped me step into that. But the other part of that is, is training for the role. So before I was a manager, I took sales management courses. I actually was in a training program with only sales managers. And I had to get sort of special <laughs> permission um, from the trainer to even be able to be part of that group. Sure. And I think that made a huge difference because I started to absorb the conversations that people in the role I wanted to be in. I listened to what they were saying. I, I went into that room with an open mind ready to learn, ready to just not learn the specific techniques and, and strategies and uh, tactics that they were learning to be better managers. But I also learned as much from the questions, the frustrations, the things that overwhelmed them. And then when I had the opportunity to be a sales manager, I was, I had a lot more depth to draw on because I had really paid attention in those conversations before I was thrown into the fire. So your advice as I listen to you is really is to start preparing now for the role that you want to be in in the future. And a lot of people don't do that, do they? They just focus so much on where they're at. They don't think about the future and then they go into it unprepared. What are one or two things if you could have told yourself 
now, if you went back to when you took the job, you prepared, you did everything you could, but maybe there was one or two things that you learned over the next few years in that role. And uh, talk to somebody that might be in that role today. They're taking over a new sales position, sales leadership, and been a little bit trained. Maybe they've got some other experience, but what would you tell them? What did you learn from that experience early on? couple things. I would say, first of all, I would tell myself, lighten up a little, right? Like none of this is the end of the world. Okay. (laughs) Just take a break, take a breather, you know, go to, go to happy hour every once in a while. Like you don't have to be working all the time. I, I felt, especially at that time, I can remember like it was yesterday that I had something to prove. And in order to prove it, it meant working hard and working long and working always and so I, that was a period of my life. And I think I, I would have benefited a lot back then to be able to lean into the strengths that I had more with my ability to be with people, to inspire people, to help them see more for themselves and less about doing it all myself. I, I think so lightening it up a little bit, but the other piece of that would be collaboration. I I felt that, and I still feel in in some ways in my business today, and I have to remind myself that, you know, I don't have to do everything all by myself. It's not going to be better if I just, you know, close the door and hunker down and, you know, pound out this work. Oftentimes, the best things that I've created in my business over the years have been collaborative efforts. Where even dialogues like the one we're having now, it sparks my thinking. You know, you ask me questions. It makes me think in a different way about what I learned. And and that's why I love doing, you know, uh, podcasts like this or or other collaborative things, because I learn even, even about my own experiences. I'm learning deeper the lessons. I'm mining that. And I think that really, really helps. Yeah, we often go through life experiencing things and maybe learning things that we are not cognizant of at the moment. And then we reflect back on it or somebody asks a question. I've, I've already seen it on your face a couple of times here when I ask you a question and you, you pause and you go, Oh, huh. I, I got to <laughs> think about that for a second, which is, which is that, that reflection is good. Well, you are a good interviewer. I'll tell you that. <laughs> it's interesting what you say though. Uh, you said you are a better salesperson than a sales leader, sales manager. Uh, I was just the opposite. I was a very mediocre salesperson. I I tried to, when I was in sales, I wanted to be right at the top of the the normal curve, you know, just average, very mediocre. So I tried to hit my numbers and um, really hated it. Learned that I was a better sales manager and wanted to be in that when I had sold a $350,000 deal for a $2 million company. I was part of a software company to Intel and everybody was excited and was celebrating. And I was like, yeah. And uh, from that, uh, an inside salesperson came up to me and said, could you help me? And I said, sure, what's going on? She's, and she said, well, I haven't sold anything like in three or four months. I'm going to get fired if I don't sell, some, sell something. And I said, oh, that's horrible. Let's see what we can do. So I spent the week with her the next week. And on Thursday, we uh, sold a $10,000 deal. And we're like jumping up and down and you know, giving high fives. And I was more excited about helping her with that $10,000 deal than the $300 plus thousand deal I'd sold the week before. That's when I knew. That's when I knew I, my job was to help others. 
And plus I found it easier. It was easier work and I'm lazy. So I, you know, uh, I say that, but I was like you, I could have taken a few more nights off, I think, um, uh, putting the hard work in, but I, I like the, what you said about collaboration with others. Yeah. For some reason, I think when we're early on, we're trying to prove to ourselves that we're worthy right. and into and others. And when we start collaborating with others, we learn so much faster, don't we? Oh, absolutely. In fact, uh, one of the things that I've been, you know, the next thing for me is to start my own podcast, right? Why not? And so I thought about, okay, well, what would I want to say in a podcast and what, what was it that I have to share? And as, as I was really diving into it, I, I kind of recognized for myself, like there's, yes, there are many things that I teach and in, in the way that I work with companies and their sales teams and things like that. But what I have learned and that spirit of collaboration was that marriage between technology and technique. So I bring the what to say and sales process and all of those things. But what I was sorely lacking in, in my journey as an entrepreneur, especially over the last you know, five years or as things have just continued to pick up the pace and change so rapidly is I was really missing the benefit of embracing and using sales technology that's available. So I can, I can work with companies all day long on how to have better prospecting language and, and, you know, what they should say to engage people in conversations, but there's only so far that that can go if you're not using the benefit of the systems and tools from a technology standpoint to get those messages out to the masses. And so in, in the spirit of, you know, taking my own medicine, I'm collaborating on a on a podcast that is going to be called The Smarter Sales Show, The yeah. Tech and Technique of Top Salespeople. And that. I think really is going to blend the technology out there as well as strong sales techniques. And that's a great example of how, you know, we're all, we're usually going to be stronger together through a collaborative effort than we would be on our own. I mean, think about peanut butter and chocolate. I mean, how great a combination is that, right? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Peanut butter's good. Chocolate's good, but peanut butter and chocolate, I mean, Uh, that's a combo. (laughs) Reese's would love you. Right? Yeah. (laughs) They could sponsor my show. (laughs) There you go. I, I think you should look at that. I also think as you talk about your background and experience, you could expand that as I listen to you uh, talk about your transition to sales leadership, sales management is to also connect that whole process and the advice that you could offer because you've done it both. You've done leadership and you've done sales. And I loved what you said about, I had to change my mindset. Mm. It's, it's a, it, it's a vulnerable process to be able to reflect back on what's made you successful and say, as Marshall Goldsmith says, what got me here won't get me there. Yeah. And yeah. when when was that moment? And and was it scary when, when you had the moment you were training, you were doing this, you got the job. But when you realize, I tell people it takes five to 10 years of really hard work to become a mediocre manager. Mm. Experience, training, coaching, all the things that you did. So when you started the job, 
you are less than mediocre. I'm going to tell you right now, I, I hate to burst your bubble, but nope, uh, I get it. You, you know it, right? <laughs> yeah. So how did you, how did you learn, you know, your mindset was right. You learned some things, but then you, you had to adjust as you went along. Do you remember some things that really made a difference in that adjustment for you over the years that you were in sales leadership? Oh, Gary, such good questions. All right, let's see. Um, I would say, let me just paint the picture of how bad an early sales manager I am, just so that we have a, a real clear understanding of the basics. Let's talk right. about the good, the bad, and the ugly. Okay, uh, let's okay. get into this. Here's, yeah. here's the ugly, Gary. This is this is. I cannot believe I'm saying this on a on a podcast. Okay, I was that manager that in the weekly sales meeting I turned on. Like loud, like obnoxious, like probably Madonna music, okay, in the okay. office. And I said, okay, everybody, let's get our energy up. Take right. off your shoes. We yeah. jogged around the office, Gary. I yes. had my sales team jogging around Excellent. the office. Feel okay. the carpet. Feel the carpet. <laughs> yeah, you got this. Okay, so my version of early sales management was – high school cheerleader. <laughs> okay. All and right. I had a lot to learn. How did then, that work for you? It did not work well. Okay. It did not right. work well. You know, yeah. um, it, it, uh, yeah, it didn't work well even when I was a cheerleader. <laughs> About the second or third time where people are looking at you like, uh, really, really merit? No, the first no. time. <laughs> it didn't take, <laughs> it didn't take two or three. It was like okay. the first moment. It was, it was awful. But you were self-aware enough to realize, okay, that didn't work. Let's try something else. Well, um, that's being really nice to me. I'm not quite sure I had the level of self-aware just yet. Okay, all right. <laughs> um, Let's move came, forward. May, may have came come later. I did have self-awareness. I unfortunately, I don't think it came until after I was complete with that sales management role after the radio station was sold, and I opened my business, um, it, it, you know, in sales, sales management, sales training. It was when I had two guys in my class. They sat next to each other in my training sessions. They were hired by the same company at the same time. They sold the same products and services at the same price point, same geography. They even looked alike. I mean, these guys were the same, okay? Close. Stephen and Daniel. I'll, I will never forget them. And they sat next to each other learning the same selling skills from the same trainer at the same time. So you would expect very similar results. The challenge was that Stephen was easily able to take everything that I taught him in training, applied it immediately, no fear, no hesitation, nothing, just right out there with it. And he got amazing results. And I'm like busy patting myself on the back. And then I turn around and I look over here and Daniel, who learned the exact same things, was not applying what he learned. There was a, there was a gap and I, I got really frustrated because, you know, I got, well, how can I celebrate and take credit for Steven's success if I'm not also being responsible and taking some accountability for the fact that I taught Daniel the same exact things and he's not having success? Like, what's up with that? And that's when I discovered emotional intelligence. Cause mm. I was, I was in a deep search. I, I called all my mentors and I was internet searching and I like really wanted to know legitimately what is going on here. Yeah. And, wrong, sure. Yeah. And so what I discovered in that was 
there's a difference between the, in the foundation that we layer all of those skills on top of, whether they're sales skills, management skills, leadership skills, skills as an entrepreneur, all of those, me- the mechanics of doing something well are on a foundation of the beliefs that you have and the strengths that you have. And it's not just beliefs. It's things like your level of assertiveness, your level of optimism, your your sense of reality check, right? Those are things, self-regard, those are things that we can measure in an emotional intelligence assessment. And once I saw the differences in their two profiles, it was very simple to say, oh, okay, Stephen's got higher self-regard, higher level of assertiveness, higher levels of optimism. And and that way, and so his plap, his it's like his uh, the soil was ready, right? Yes, and so yes. all I did was plant those seeds and they grew right away. Whereas yes. Daniel had some gaps. And if I didn't acknowledge and help him work on, you know, bringing those, those weaker areas more into balance with some of his stronger areas, then any skill that I layered on top of that foundation was basically just going to fall through the gaps. Yeah. And, you know, the hard part was assess going through that exercise myself. Once I saw it in a couple of people in my clients, I was able to say, huh, all right, it's probably time for me to really understand where are the gaps in my mindset, my foundation, and and what do I need to really do a deep dive and work on so that I can be um, more balanced from an emotional intelligence perspective and better able to use everything that I'm going to layer on top of that foundation. Yeah. So you make, you make some great points that, uh, you, you know, the, the base talents that some people have or their false limiting beliefs, as we talk about in our coaching with, uh, with leaders get in the way or support them in a way that lets them reach their full potential. And when you talk about the, the uh, sabotage of success, I think that's what uh, you're referring to right now is those, those, uh, criteria of sabotage that are all part of us until we become aware that they are and accept that and then be able to deal with it. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I, I break mindset down into a few different categories because I think it's more expansive than what we believe. So when I, when I talk about that in, in my programs with clients, I, and, and audiences, Mindset is really three parts. So it's the internal mind, right? What we say to ourselves. And that's where you have beliefs. You have beliefs about money. You have beliefs about uh, self-worth. You have beliefs about the level of decision maker you're comfortable interacting with, right? You have beliefs about all of those things. So it's what we say to ourselves. Then there's the behavioral mind. And that's really what our actions say to other people, so the way that you listen to people, that's there's there's something about what you believe to be true for you that gets communicated through your actions. And that's why, and we've you've heard a million times, right? Actions speak louder than words. So we're assessing other people by their actions as well. And the third part of mindset is that emotional mind. And that's how well we really understand our 
our own emotions and the impact we have on others. So it's, you know, internal mind, what we say to ourselves, behavioral mind, what our actions say to others, and emotional mind, what our emotions, the the emotions we have, and the, the impact on others. And that's incredibly important for leaders because when a leader walks into a room in a bad mood, everyone feels it. Mm-hmm. And everyone's probably sitting there. Most people are probably sitting there going, what did I do? <laughs> and it probably has nothing to do with you, but that's our way of dealing with it. And so when we understand the impact our emotions have on others, that's a whole nother level of leadership. Yeah. And we do a lot of work on emotional intelligence with our leaders because that's at the core of their effectiveness. Uh, you can take strengths, you can take technical competencies, you can take all these other things. But our definition of leadership is the ability to build relationships so we can achieve our goals together with compassion, accountability. It starts with building relationships and relationships are built through connections of trust in so many different ways. I like the uh, the pillars of trust by uh, Mr. Horsager at the, that we know through the National Speakers Association does a great job with that. The Trust Edge is his book. If anybody ever wants to read about it, it's, it's great stuff. And uh, building trust in those relationships is where we start. And we can lose it as a leader in a moment after taking years to develop it. So um, that's that's uh, I think that's a great place for us to wrap this up, talking about trust and leadership and emotional intelligence. And uh, I love your three areas of mindset, internal, behavioral, and emotional. I think people can learn learn a lot from that. And you started off by uh, talking about your ability to be able to reflect back and think about it. You knew what you wanted to do at a young age, but then you moved on, you developed and realized. I think the biggest thing that really strikes me about what you said, Merritt, is to start training yourself for the next role, mm. you know, what, whatever that might be. And we never know in all the things that we do, I knew when I was growing up, my parents, my, my dad said, I don't care if you're a ditch digger, be the best damn ditch digger you can be. Right. And, uh, you know, we probably heard it from a lot of the greatest generation because they had a lot of those little cliches that are good to remember. And uh, I think that's just what you're saying. Be the best you can be and then be ready for the next thing. Absolutely. So. That's the name of the game. Is there any final advice or wisdom that you'd like to share with us today, uh, Merritt, that uh, just uh, you have on your list of things that we haven't covered? You know, what I've been sharing with uh, audiences in my keynotes lately is really this concept of being open for business. Mm. And when I talk about that, it, it really wraps in everything that we've covered today, because really being open for business is more than the ability to transact business deals. It's the idea of being open-minded for more, more possibilities. It's it's being open for business in action and attitude. So it's it's blending all of those actions that are required to be open to growth. And I think, you know, if you take out the word business and and put in leadership, it's really, you know, to be open to being the best leader that you could be is, is really where we have the most opportunity to, to be of the highest value. And so 
being open for business and action and attitude. That's what I would just leave people with. Yeah. That's what people resonate with. And, you know, the magic phrase is really, are you open to, are you open to things getting right. even better than they could, than they are right now? Yeah. Are you open? That's, that's great. Are you open to making yourself better? Uh, yeah. We talk about inside out, it's making yourself better and therefore making those around you better and be able to contribute more. So Merritt, uh, thank you so much. Uh, I'm not going to embarrass you by telling people that you're also a comedian and uh, <laughs> ask you ask you to tell us a joke. Uh, but uh, maybe maybe next time, maybe well, we can. Well, I, I have a, a show on C-Suite TV. It's called The Comedy Suite. So you can go check out my comedy over there. <laughs> I'm going to do that. I think our listeners should uh, should check that out. Uh, Even Merit- the C-Suite needs to laugh, right? <laughs> That's right. Merit Khan on the Comedy Channel. What is it again? The C-Suite? The, com- the Comedy Suite. The C-Suite Comedy Suite. The C-Suite Comedy Suite. I love it. I love it. <laughs> well, thanks so much, Merit, for being here. And I am... Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. This is Leading from the Front. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being with us on Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath. Remember to subscribe to this podcast on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about the work Dr. Gary is doing, visit statarius.com. S-T-A-T-A-R-I-U-S dot com. Music for Leading from the Front is provided by Peter Katz. For more of his music, visit peterkatz.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.